Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Today, we wanted to bring you a special episode from the archives, one of our most downloaded episodes we hope you enjoy. Today's show is an interview I did with a truly inspirational man, Mr. John O'Leary. John and I have been friends for a number of years now. And John has a very, very special story. Brian Buffini, delighted to be on with a fellow Irishman. Yes, sir. Now, I have the Italian name and you have the O'Leary name, so we needed to do something to patty up the presentation today. But we're delighted to have you here. A number of folks who tune into this show would know your story, but there's equally as many people who don't. And I would love to kind of take a little bit of a walk down memory lane for you. You go around the country and you give hundreds of talks each year and you have a great message of inspiration and hope that has a lot of strength to it. And I think a lot of people, our audiences that you've spoken to have been not just inspired for the minute, but encouraged long-term by Mm -hmm. it. And maybe we can uh, go back and and start at the beginning and talk a little bit about where your story began. Yeah. And Brian, I think everybody's got a story. Mm Mm-hmm just generally not the one we're telling the world. Right, yeah. And that, that is a big part of my story. My story is at age nine, I was in a house fire, mm-hmm. burned on 100% of my body, given absolutely no chance to survive, mm-hmm. somehow survived the first night through God's grace, survived the second night, the third, and five months in hospital, years of therapy and surgeries, lost my fingers to amputation, and then moved on with my life. I never once looked back. I just wanted to pretend like everything was ordinary, like I was normal. That was the great goal of my life, to be normal. Wow. What an unusual goal, but that was my goal. Wow. And I was very normal for a long time. I hid it well behind clothes and booze and success and everything Mm. else. And then about nine years ago, my mom and dad wrote a book about my story, the real story. Mm. It's called Overwhelming Odds. They printed 100 copies for their church. (laughs) They have sold over 70,000 cents, which is a really big number for a self-published author. Out as of their you garage. are now recognizing <laughs> oh, my Lord. As, a new, as a new author yourself. It's you... a huge number. Yeah. And one of the copies was sold to your guest today, John O'Leary, for yeah. 10 bucks. I got to read about how I got burned. It, <laughs> it transforms my life. Wow. Uh, for the first time, I got to look in the mirror and realize the fingers and the scars and the brokenness and the stares and others and the pain that I have physically today, yeah. that all of it was a gift. How old were you when you read your mom's book? About 30 years old. And you were in the construction business at the time. Right. And so after you read the book, how did that change your life? So, Brian, if you think about what is the hardest job in the world for a burn victim that has no fingers and can't sweat to do? It might be become a carpenter. Right. That Uh, might be about as hard as it gets. Right. And retrospectively, I think, Part of the dream of being ordinary means I'm going to climb the ladders and sheet rooftops and hang drywall, screaming out to the world, look how ordinary I am. Wow. Look how normal I am. I didn't know it in real time, but retrospectively, that's what that cry was. That's what I was racing toward. So how did it change my life? Three days after I read the book, I got a call from a group of Girl Scouts. There were three of them in this den. In St. Louis, Missouri? In St. Louis. And they asked Mr. O'Leary if he would speak and share his story with the troop. Wow. And in life, even back then, I have a very simple answer to any request, whether it's being on the Buffini show or uh, traveling around the world. The answer is yes. Yes to opportunity. Yes to living into the moment. So I said yes as an introvert, as a guy who'd never told anybody how he was burned, gave my first talk. It was brutal. 
uh, spent 50 hours practicing this lousy thing, 10 minutes long, to third grade girls. And I read the entire thing, not once looking up at the little monsters. Wow. The little monsters. That's correct. But it was enough, man. That was the first. And yeah. you, you never forget the first. Yeah. Well, Zig says you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of sage wisdom in that. Yeah. So I started, delivered three talks in year one, eight in year two, and it's been off to the races ever since. Wow. And now you're a guy that inspires audiences all over the world and certainly have, for our crowds, you've done a heck of a job. Talk to me now. Let's go back to the day itself. You're nine years of age. You're playing around with a can of gas. You catch fire. Mm -hmm. Your brother comes and rolls you up in carpet. Is that right? (laughs) Right. Your listeners today who come from large families will appreciate this. But after I I blew myself up by accident Mm. and find myself burning in this garage and make my way covered in gasoline on fire back through the flames, back into the house, Mm. I ran through the kitchen, the family room, and into the front of the house, Mm. stood on top of my mom and dad's oriental rug, just burning. Flames leaping three feet off of me in all the directions. And I'm praying for a hero. Like, I'll take anybody, God. And so when I see my 17-year-old brother racing toward me, my next thought is, uh, God, anybody else. Anybody but him? Anybody (laughs) else, man. I can't thank my older brother. (laughs) Because he's not the one. He's a punk. He hates me. He probably wants me dead in the first place. He's not the one. And yet, he was the one. And this was his day to change to become a better version of himself, mm-hmm. t- to shine. Mm-hmm. And I think that's our calling every day. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be overly trite or motivational here, but this is the reality. We are called daily to become a better version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is Jim's moment to change. He picks up a rug, beats down the flames. It takes him two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. He burns himself in the process, carries me outside, throws me on the wet soil, jumps on top of me, runs back into a burning house, calls 911. 1987, the lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri. Wow. Was a 17 year old pimple faced jerk who changed. Mm-hmm. That simple. Mm. Yeah. He's probably a hero ever since, right? Still is. When I was married 14 years ago, the first gentleman behind me in one of those monkey suits yep. was my brother Jim. When I had my first child, a little, a little boy named Jack, he was the godfather. He is a dear man, a great friend, That's and great. a much better man today than he was back then. Fire can do that for us. Interesting. So take us now, you're nine years of age, you're basically, the prognosis is not good, right? I mean, burned over 100% of your body. I've been in hospital a number of times. They say the worst pain in the world is fire. Right. Because there's just no way to ease the pain. Mm -hmm. You're in terrible pain. You know, your mom and dad have to be beside themselves. But I remember in your talk, and I remember we've talked about it, at your lowest ebb, your mom had an adult conversation with you. Mm. Talk about that. Yeah, so I'm laying in the emergency room and, and with Burn Care Brian in 2016. The math works like this. You take the percentage of the body burned, you add age, you got mortality. Wow. So today, if a patient presents with 100% burn, you add the age, and it's 109% likely that this patient won't survive. Wow. So 30 years ago, it's not looking good. There is no chance to give it up. So this is what my mom is walking into. She comes over to her little boy. She's got six, but I I am candidly her favorite. So she walks (laughs) over to her favorite child. She takes my right hand in hers. She pats my bald head and she says, I love you. You know, I love you. That takes a lot of courage, I think, when you're holding a hand of a dying child. I just, I love you. Mm. So I look up at her and I say, Mama, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? 
And in asking the question, I assumed she would say, no, Mm -hmm. you're fine, baby. We're going to get you out of here today. Just fight. Just fight. Keep dreaming about the milkshake. Mm -hmm. Because that's what will get you on the way home, the milkshake. And mom gave me truth, which I think your listeners need. I think we need politically these days. Mm -hmm. I think we need globally. I think we need our families and our faith walk. Truth. It shall set you free. Mm. She holds my hand a little bit more firmly. She looks me in the eyes and she says, baby, look at me. Do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. And I look up at my mom and I say to her, Mama, I do not want to die. I want to survive. And she says back, good. Then take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him, but you fight like you have never fought before. And on that morning, it was January the 17th, Brian, 1987, a child, nine, flanked by his father and his mother, made a covenant to fight on, having no clue what the 18th of January may look like, or the 19th, or the first surgery, or the second, or the 30th, all we knew on day one, and by the way, I think this is enough, the fight's on. Mm. The fight is on, and that is enough on day one. You made the decision. As a young person, which is, you know, we often underestimate what young people can do, Mm -hmm. but you made a decision, a covenant, as you call it, an agreement in mind and heart, you were going to live and do whatever it took. And I think importantly, and never look back. People frequently say, well, gosh, were there long days? Absolutely. Days were brutal. Mm. But never again did I second guess life or death. We knew the brutality had an end in mind. Mm. We knew at some point we were going home, and we were going home as a family. Now, how many surgeries did you end up having altogether? Probably about 30 all in. Wow. Wow. Wild. But the, the surgeries, the good part about surgeries, they put you to sleep these days. <laughs> you know, it's not like bourbon back in Ireland where we're from, my friend. Right. They put you to sleep. The harder part, candidly, for the burn victim are physical therapy sessions yeah. and occupational death sessions and yeah. bandage changes and blood being drawn from your toes of all places. And it is just such a difficult recovery. It breaks yeah. my heart less to think about what I went through and more to think about all the patients around the world that are going through the same stuff today. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure there's a level of compassion that you have for that that only you can experience. Yeah. So talk to me. Along the way, there were some people. I mean, one of the reasons I do this podcast is I'm looking to provide information, clarity, insight, and inspiration to people who are searching, searching for a better life or a better way, or uh, to be more, to give more, to do more. Along the way, there was a number of very, very important people Mm. that helped you out. Why don't you talk about some of the folks that contributed to your recovery and where you are today? Right. So if if you let me talk about all of them, it's going to be about an 11-part podcast. Yeah, right. We realized, looking back on how blessed we were. Mm -hmm. I think in real time, it's really hard to count your blessings in real time. It's through the glance of looking backward, you were able to see where God's hand was in your story. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly our experience because he was all over it. You know, it began in the emergency room, Brian, not just with my mom and my dad, but a little burn doctor named Dr. Vachiavajan, who was the kind of physician who made it not just about curing patients, but really healing them, which means not just the medicine, but the heart, the spirituality side of getting people better. He was the kind of man who would round every morning, as all doctors do, but not only would he round by himself, he would round with the entire team. So he brings other doctors, he brings in the custodian, the janitor. Hmm. The reason for that is with burn care, that doctors may be paid the most. They may have the toughest job in some regards. But what kills burn victims is usually infection. Wow. So how the place is cleaned and taken care of is it matters. important. Yeah. Which, and this is not just to be funny or trite. It's fact. The most important person in a burn center is the janitor, mm. the minimum wage guy. Yeah. 
So this doctor would round with the janitor, a guy named Lavelle. He would round with techs. He would round with therapists. He would round with the entire team. And so he was a profoundly important person in my life, mm-hmm. even to the degree that in mid-February, about a month and a half after they amputated my fingers, it broke my heart, as you might imagine. I had planned on being the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm. And I knew that this was never going to happen. I knew at that time I would never hold a little girl's hand. I knew I would never get a job. I knew my life was over as I knew it. That night, late, it's probably about 1130, my doctor who had woken up probably at four in the morning to do his rounds, to do his surgeries, then to do the bandage changes, then to do his charting, walked into my room. So this guy's tired. He's got three kids of his own at home. He walks in, he sits down, and he tells me exactly why he had to amputate my fingers that day. Mm. That if they had not amputated the fingers, that I would have died. And then he goes on to say, John, there's something special going on here. And no, you may not play baseball again, but you can own the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Or you can be their general manager if you choose. (laughs) He said, you may not become a carpenter. He was wrong on that. You may not become a carpenter, but you could become a general contractor or a real estate agent. You may not become a courtroom reporter, John, but you can become a judge or an attorney. Mm-hmm. Your life has not been taken from you. I've actually given you a chance for life back. Wow. And it's a conversation as a child I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And he made a little bit of time. He's one of these individuals that served me throughout the day, changed my life during those five months, and has blessed me along the way. Yeah. Oh, the right word at the right time. And it doesn't matter who it's from. No, and one more piece about the right word at the right time. What he would do so beautifully is in the mornings on the rounding, he would just sit and sit with me. (laughs) Not the right words, in other words, Brian. I mean, frequently just silence, Mm. which we listeners today, I don't think are very good at sitting there in the awkward silence. And he was so good at just being present with me as a child. And I think that's an awesome element that most great leaders and all great salespeople are able to step into. Mm. Well, it's just, it's uh, all great human beings know how to practice either the presence of God or practice being in the in the presence of another human being. Mm-hmm. And in our world today, that is not something that is practice. So that's pretty special. That's special that he did that. Talk to me about Roy. That's kind of a neat story. And, and for folks who don't know, tell tell yeah. the folks about Roy. So when the physician would round, he rounded with everybody, including a CNA, which means a minimum wage employee, whose primary job it is to help with bedpans, change sheets, and help with the bandage changes. Mm. Those are kind of his three main jobs. And yet this nurse, the CNA, would be encouraged every morning by the doctor to do a little bit more, to be a little bit more. So every morning after the rounding, this nurse, a guy named Nurse Roy, would walk into my room. He would unhook me from the bed. He would get me up into his big, huge bare arms And he would walk me back toward the bandage change. Brian, back then I had no skin. I had no muscle mass, so I'm not able to bear my own weight. And this guy would drag me back, my little legs dangling between his, and into my right ear, he would say, very quietly, he'd whisper, boy, in a loud and clear former army guy, boy, you are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting keep fighting. And then he'd drag me back a little bit farther and he'd say, you are going to walk again. Keep fighting and I'll walk with you. Keep pulling me back, lift me up into the, the, this big tub and slowly submerge me into the stainless steel tub of water. Every morning, Brian, for months, this guy would come in with that same obnoxious banter into my right ear. Boy, you are going to walk again. Keep fighting. Keep walking. 
and I'll walk with you. And I, I hated him because I knew as a child, I will never walk again. Mm. I'll never walk again. And yet he had a vision so much greater than I did. He had the vision of not just enduring and surviving, but of truly thriving. And did he believe? Walking. Did he believe before you believed? Oh, my Lord. Months before I believed. And not only did he believe before I believed, he believed before any of the other staff members believed. Mm. He believed before the physician believed. They were fighting to get this kid not to die. Mm. I think Roy was fighting to get this kid to really live. And there is a difference. One is motivated generally from a place of fear. The other one from a place of great faith. Yeah. And, and again, everybody goes about their business and does their job. But everyone listening to your story, I think one of the key points to draw from it is that no matter what your job is, you have an opportunity for significance. Mm. You have an opportunity to do something profound. Because he could have just showed up and did his job every day. And he'd have been fine, you know. But he brought more of himself to the job. Which, by the way, he risked getting hurt. Because he could have been speaking those truths into your life every single day. And he also could have easily showed up one day and that boy not be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he had to take the risk. He had to take the risk of pouring a little of himself in. I'm sure during his career... He took risks that didn't pay off mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's that willingness to step in to that dirty gray space and do the hard things and take the emotional risk. But everyone doing whatever job, mm. you know, the greatest evangelist of all time, Billy Graham, I believe he came to faith through someone who was selling shoes, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's an amazing, an amazing journey. Well, you, you used the word significance. Yeah. I think... The marketplace is selling success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing, man. I no. love success. I think yeah. it's beautiful. Sure. Become a better version of yourself so you can achieve more for yourself and your family. That's great. But significance is about allowing the ripple effect of our talents and time and treasure to ripple out into a marketplace that is starved for mm-hmm. it. And so Roy, encouraged by his leaders, like the shoe salesman, mm-hmm. made a choice to make it about something bigger than themselves. Right. And that, that is a huge play. So you did get to walk again. Yes. Uh, Roy got to witness that and be a part of that. Roy and I lost touch for an awful long time. Right. And I was blessed to outkick the coverage, which is an American term, Brian, for uh, marrying way above my head. I have a gorgeous bride. Her name is Elizabeth Grace. She's brunette. She's got brown eyes. She is gorgeous. And her heart is even prettier. Mm -hmm. She's just a lovely lady. And so when I was married, we invited my doctors, my staff, the janitor, the entire team back. And the only guy not there was a fellow named Nurse Roy, Mm. which stinks because he never had seen me walk. Wow. When I left the hospital after five months, I was carried out. Mm. And so it would have been beautiful for him to be in this big church, this guy in the the tuxedo in the front, standing up, then walking out to meet his future bride. Wow. And that was a disappointment that he wasn't there. And then three years later. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, speaking actually now, and I'm in Alabama. It's a little town called Eufaula, Alabama. The joke about Eufaula, if you live in Alabama and you know this, is you can't get there from here. I mean, (laughs) it is such a small town. No matter where you are in Alabama, you just can't get there from here. And so I'm speaking there. There's nobody there. There's a few power workers. It's, It's an Alabama power conference. And after I finish the presentation, it's the 30th that we've done that summer. It's the summer that the storms have swept through Alabama. Mm. And my job then is to go around community by community, bringing a little bit of hope and inspiration. And on the final day, the president of Alabama Power Company comes back to the stage, brings me back up, has me stand in front of all of his guys and says, uh, fella, 
you had a nurse who did great work for you. I said, man, I had a lot of good nurses. He said, yeah, you sure did, fellow, but you had one in particular, a large African-American man named Roy. He said, what would he say? And I said, oh, man, he used to say, boy, you're going to walk again. And the gentleman behind the nice suit said back to me, that is not what he would say. Mm -mm. I bet you what he would say would sound more like this. And then you don't know what this sounds like, Brian, because it never happens in your room. But occasionally in some events, the microphone is turned on poorly. (laughs) So I hear this high echo and then this big boom and then the voice of God. And then the voice says, boy, you are walking again. Wow. And I am blessed and honored to walk with you. And they pull back a blue curtain behind the stage and they bring out this large, beautiful African-American man named Nurse Roy that I had not seen in decades. Right. It was one of the most memorable experiences of my entire life. Well, to see this hero. and it's on YouTube. I saw it on YouTube, and it, I would encourage people to go check it out. It's a pretty special deal, mm-hmm. and and very neat that they did that for you. Talk to me about Jack Buck mm. and what what his influence was and what role he played in your story. So, your listeners, I, I think the best way to take in content, whether watching or not, is actually to listen. Mm-hmm. It allows us to listen from a sacred place, like our heart. Mm-hmm. So I, I love radio. I love podcast. And uh, growing up, I love St. Louis Cardinal baseball. Mm-hmm. And where those three collide was through the voice and uh, the heart of a guy named Jack Buck. Jack was the announcer for the Cardinals, my hero for all nine years of my life before I was burned. Jack had learned about me being burned. The day after I'm laying in a hospital bed, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand this, I'm tied down to the bed. My arms and legs are tied down. My lungs have been burned, Brian, so I can't breathe. I'm traked. So now I can breathe, but I cannot eat or drink or talk. And my body has doubled in size overnight, so I I can do nothing, nothing, except feel pain and remorse and regret and anger and sadness and occasionally leaving the dark place, uh, stepping back into the light with faith and hope and love. You dream and you pray and you set radical big goals. And you listen. I, I listened for months. And the day after I'm burned, it's been about 30 hours. I'm laying there in absolute darkness and I'm lonely and scared. And I hear my door open up and footsteps creep in. A chair gets dragged across the floor. There's a cough. And then a voice, the voice speaks light into my darkness. And the voice says, kid, kid, wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. And then he says, kid, are you listening? And I try to nod my head back, and the old man says, good, keep fighting. And then he stands up, he walks out, he leaves, and he changed my life. He Mm -hmm. came in one time for 13 seconds, and after he left, he was told by the physicians and the nurses outside of the room that the little boy was going to die. Wow. Like, this is a hopeless situation. And I think this is a diagnosis, Brian, we all get in our businesses. You know, we get it relationally. We get it in our marriages. We get it frequently with our kids, with our aging parents. We get it politically. There is no chance. Mm -hmm. And then what we do next and the questions we ask and the mindset with which we ask them will matter. What he did is he took it home. He cried, which is healthy listeners. He prayed, Mm -hmm. which is also healthy. And he journaled on one question. It's what I would refer to as the Jack Buck question. And his question was, what more can I do? Mm. Right. What more can I do? The following day, I'm laying in a hospital bed dying. The lights are out. 
I'm on the edge of death, falling toward it. My door opens up. I hear footsteps, a chair, a cough, and then that voice speaks light again, and it says, kid, wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it worthwhile, and this man stepped into the gap, stepped into the darkness daily for the next five months. Really? Yes. And when he traveled to go out of town, he would send other people in his stead. Other ball players, other Hall of Famers. So he had just obviously he had been on the news. He had heard about it, and he made a commitment. He's going to go down to the local hospital and see this little boy. Yeah, I'm glad you asked, because I think that's what we think right now. We we listeners, I'm one of them, think, well, gosh, that is great what a nurse does or what Jack Buck does. But I'm no nurse and I'm no Jack Buck. Mm-hmm. So how did Jack hear about it? Was it through social media? Mm-hmm. Did one of his friends like it? Is O'Leary a celebrity in town already before he's burned? And nothing could be farther from the truth. I'm an ordinary guy from an ordinary family, and it was not on the news. So how did Jack hear? And then ultimately, what does it mean for us listening? Mm -hmm. My next-door neighbor, her name was Carol Bauer. The explosion that morning was so powerful that it blasted the windows out of her bedroom. Jeez. So she wakes up. And then she looks outside, and one of the O'Leary kids is being dragged off into an ambulance, and she realizes this is bad. So Carol calls a friend whose name I don't know, who walks across the street and tells a neighbor whose name I don't know, who then calls her friend, a woman named Colleen Shandings. Colleen is the daughter of a former Cardinal great named Red Shandings, a Hall of Fame player. Sure. She calls her daddy. Dad is buckling up at the tie because he's going out the door to, to visit a charity auction. So he gets the call. He takes it. He says, okay, I'll pray for him. Goes. And then that night, he happens to be seated next to a Hall of Fame announcer, a gentleman named Jack Buck. And while passing the wine and the bread, Red Shandings tells Jack Buck in passing, keep this little boy in your thoughts and prayers. That's it. Mm. And the following day, in the midst of a snowstorm, Jack Buck, a perfect stranger, shows up in a burn center, knocks on doors until he gets to the right one, comes into my life, and forever changed me. Wow. Because one person made a call to Community, one Community, relationships, reaching out. I mean, here's the thing. I don't care where technology goes. That is always going to be the essence of life mm. and the power of what the human spirit can bring. You know, just off topic here, one thing you've talked about a lot is I've heard the the tones and the, the aftershave of your faith. <laughs> what role did faith play in all of this? Faith, for me as a child, was easy. Mm-hmm. So I went to a Christian school and uh, we colored pictures of Jesus and then we'd color the ground below it and we would color it blue because it's not ground, it's actually water. And Christ could walk on water, and we knew if we believed enough, so could we. Mm-hmm. We knew we could. We believed that. We believed we could move mountains. And then when I got burned, my mom said, take the hand of God, walk the journey with him, and you will live, essentially. Well, I did. Mm-hmm. And I did live. And then faith gets a little bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. When the prayers we are offering seem to fall into deaf ears. Mm-hmm. No time in my life has been more painful for that than I, I spent three years, Brian, as a hospital chaplain. It's certainly not something I talk about frequently from the stage, but mm-hmm. it's part of my fabric now. So three years working with children. And frequently in a critical care center with children, the prayers we offer up aren't answered. Mm. They're not answered. And then you got to say, gosh, so where's this great, mighty, loving God that you so believe in? Mm. And that's when it gets tricky. But I think if you walk it all the way down the line, it's also where it gets good. Mm. It realizes that in spite of what we're asking for, that his will is always perfect and it's always done. Mm. And then ultimately what our prayers should be is not that our prayers are answered, but that we live into his will for our lives. 
I speak frequently into a secular marketplace, Mm -hmm. but I hope in the way that I get to share our story and our message, which actually has very little to do with John. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with the characters who stepped into my life. That in no small way, the individuals listening realizes that God's working through their lives too. Mm. And they can't help but make a difference. And then the only question we get to decide is, shall our impact on others be positive or negative? Mm-hmm. That's the only decision we get each day. Well, well, see, I love the fact, I mean, I think the dynamic of the world we live in today is, again, just like you talked politics, the word of spirituality and faith and religion has become so polarizing for so many people. And also so many people who do have a faith or a belief are ever afraid to get to the point of saying, here's where I've had a crisis of faith. Here's where I asked for help and none came. Right. Here's where they used to call it the dark night of the soul in the 1400s. And so, you know, you know, many people, you know, in our modern world today, spirituality, faith, relationship, religion, it's an infomercial that uh, you, you fire it up and in three easy prayers of 1995, you get your solution, right? And, that's right. You know, and that's never been the case. That's never been throughout history. And it takes that depth. And it's oftentimes in those darknesses, and it's in those, those times of silence, mm-hmm. and it's in those times of really coming to the end of yourself. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis said, you get to the end of yourself, that's when you meet God. Yes. And so it's a profound thing. It's a profound thing. And it's a profound thing to go through. You know, someone listening today might be going through some real tough times, and they may be pulling their hair out for a a kid who's off the rails or whatever extreme situation is going on in somebody's life. And they're asking the prayers and the answers aren't forthcoming. And sometimes that answer in and of itself is the answer. As a presenter, Brian, and I know you received this as well. My favorite part of speaking is when I drop the mic and walk off stage and get to meet people. Mm -hmm. Naturally, I'm not the kind of guy who wants to be in front of 30 or 100 or thousands of people. I I like one-to-one way more. And in those one-to-one conversations, I'm always amazed, although I think by now I should not be, but I'm always amazed at the depth of struggles that everybody has. Mm. And so you said, it's possible somebody listening is going through some struggles, and I know for a fact, and so do you, that it's not possible. It's a fact mm-hmm. that we're going through struggles. It's yeah. just on how deep the struggle is today and where we are in it. Right. And I think if you can make sense out of the struggle, it keeps you humble and hungry when you're doing successfully in life. Right. And speaking of success, by the way, a little switching gears, I'm holding in my hand here this very cool little book, and it's uh, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. Now, your mom wrote a book while you were doing construction. It's taken you quite some time to get your head around the concept of actually doing a book. What led you to finally put this down on paper? The intersection of a whole lot of things playing in perfect harmony. Mm -hmm. And Brian, you were part of it. Mm. When I give a presentation called The Power of One, there's little pictures that are mostly dark, but if you look closely, you realize, wow, there are actual people up there. It's like a mosaic of individuals who have influenced me positively. Some of them are people I've never met, like Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever met him. Mother Teresa, not yet met her. Jesus is up there. Pope Francis is up there. And then people in my own personal walk, my sisters are up there. My brother, Jim, my mom and dad, my wife, my children. And there's a picture of Brian Buffini. And you don't even know this, but you're up on the screen, man. Everywhere I go, Brian has encouraged me mightily in my professional walk. And one of the things he said is, John, you got to own your story. And at some point, you got to write it out and share it with others. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation we had about three years ago. And although I was working on that, I wasn't determined to actually ever finish that. Mm -hmm. 
And it was you jabbing me in the belly twice and then an uppercut to the right that finally got me to sit down and take it. Just my love language, John. That's all. It's a painful love language, but it worked (laughs) in my case. That book is my heart. It is our story. And it's not about me. And that's why I love it so much. It's Mm -hmm. about the men and women, the boys, the children, strangers who came into my life, how they showed up, what they did, and how their actions had a profound impact in my life. And then ultimately, this is the best part, what it means for the reader. Mm Mm-hmm. What it means for our marriages, what it means for our businesses, what it means in our faith walk. Well, you know, I'm a compulsive reader. And what I was impressed by, as much as I know you, as much as I didn't know you after reading your book, and then also the depth of transparency you're willing to go to, and that is ultimately what helps people. Mm. So it's awesome. Congratulations. It's out. What day is it uh, coming on the market here? March 15th, baby. March 15th, just in time. So we don't promote a lot on the podcast, but I'm excited to promote that. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with that. I have a couple of questions I want to finish up with here. And we could certainly use another couple hours. And maybe we'll do another couple hours one of these days on uh, kind of the next step. On the next step of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And ultimately talking about being a seeker. And the next conversation I want to have with you is about how you became a seeker in regards to your own growth. In regards to success and significance. So that might be a tune in for part two. But I have a couple questions I like to know. All right, what is the one movie you got to watch over and over again, or you have? <laughs> All right, man. So uh, I have four children these days, Brian. Yep. And if you're asking me today what movie I'm watching over and over again, it's probably Frozen. Oh my gosh, you got to let it go. That's right. You got let it go. Okay, cut, cut the mics. Oh okay, my god! Need, all three listeners just tuned us off right yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. What's movie for you though? What's what's been a movie you've watched over and over and over again? I love movies of personal growth, mm-hmm. and I, I think there is so much tragedy in the world and yeah. so much overcoming the tragedy that the more we can step into factual movies, the better for all yeah, of us. Right. Best movie I've probably seen lately, my wife and I watched a movie, and I don't even remember the title, but it was about a woman suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, mm. and uh, about halfway through the movie, her husband leaves her, and this lady, minimum wage, Roy-type gal steps in and just loves this woman and loves her all the way to the finish line and loves her well. And the commitment that the lady with Lou Gehrig's disease asked for was, this is probably my last night. I need to do this on my own. I need to die on my own. Okay, let that be your final gift to me. And so from the next room, this nurse is hearing the struggle of this gal breathing and she knows it's the end and she's crying and she's broken. And then she finally says, oh, the heck with it. So she leaves the room next to the lady who's who's taking her last breaths and she walks in and she just lays in bed and holds her until the end. And Mm. it's, it's such a beautiful story of struggle and reality and life and overcoming. So those are the kind of movies that no O'Leary doubt. likes, man. That's, yeah, that's you don't O'Leary laugh a lot, but it's awesome. Your, no doubt, but that's almost your own story in some regards. So give me favorite song, favorite artist. Favorite song, Big Daddy, I think is the name of it. And the song is called I'm Overwhelmed. Wow. You know, in life, when you got four kids at home, they're little, they're in diapers, and they're yelling at each other and punching each other and spilling milk, and then you go off to work and you got struggles there, and then TSA strip searches you. <laughs> it's easy to feel overwhelmed. Sure. But in a negative way. Yeah. And then this song, I play it every morning, Brian. I'm overwhelmed. And I won't sing it because I do want you listeners to keep listening. <laughs> it fires me up. Mm. I am overwhelmed by how God, in this case, has used everything for a perfect purpose. And, uh, how blessed we are. So it, it turns right. me on every morning. There you go. Nothing like it. Best piece of advice you ever got? 
probably from Frozen and probably received even before that, but let it go, man. I, I spent a lot of my life holding on to regret and sadness and brokenness and mistakes. Mm. And gosh, I think we got to learn from them. We got not to repeat them, but at some point you got to surrender to the fact you did it and now you can do better. So only only presenters are able to take profound lessons out of shows like Frozen. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> okay. What advice would you give to your younger self? Mm. Probably don't take it so seriously and enjoy the ride. Mm. As a child, part of the reason for hiding up the scars and covering up the bandages and seeking success, but not real success and not real significance, was a desire to be ordinary. Mm. And I think if I could have embraced my story earlier... I could have done even more profound things than what we've been able to do subsequently. So just embrace the gift of the moment. Well, I have some bad news for you, John O'Leary. You have not succeeded in being ordinary. You are an extraordinary man with an extraordinary story. But above all, you're an extraordinary spirit. And you've inspired and you continue to help a lot of people. And I know it takes a lot of work every hour of every day. And you're out there and you're promoting your message and doing the best you can as a husband, as a father, as a friend. You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. And uh, it's my great honor to have you here today, my great honor to promote you every time I get a chance because uh, you help people everywhere you go. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.